You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 35 West Shelton Avenue. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.church. Today I'm going to lead us through the text of the story of Naaman. And when I was a kid, I grew up in, in the church. When I was a kid and I heard the story of Naaman, uh, he's a man with a skin disease who is um, healed by bathing in the river. And we made a craft out of a cup that we painted blue on the outside, and we each had a popsicle stick, and we cut out like a stick figure, although more like a gingerbread person shape, you know, um, and glued it to the stick so that you could push the person up out of the water and then dunk him down into the cup in the water. And he was told to dunk seven times. So you could dunk him seven times and then you flip it around and raise him up and he's healed. So my takeaway, right? My takeaway from this story was, you know, God healed Naaman by bathing in the river. they, it, it, it was about his body, right? So we thought a lot about the shape, the cutout shape, and what, um, what happened to his body in the water. There's a lot in this story about bodies, and it's not just about Naaman's body being healed of a skin disease. So I want to try to enter this story through the other bodies in the story uh, of those whose names are not even included as a detail for us. As you listen to it, you'll notice that at every turn in this story, these bodies lead Naaman to healing that I believe actually goes much deeper than his skin. So I'm going to read the story to you. If you want to follow along, it's found in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 through 15. Um, I don't have it on the slide for you today, so you can just listen. Um, But again, if you want to read along, please feel free to pull that up on your phone. 2 Kings 5. I'm going to read from the Common English Bible. Um, And actually, before we get there, let me just give you a little summary. For those of you who um, are sort of trying to track along in uh, the, the flow of our Sunday meetings... Um, we've skipped a lot of territory. So I'm going to give a very brief summary to kind of catch you up for where we are in the text. Um, after King David and Solomon, we, had, we, we were in stories with both of them the last two weeks, the kings became increasingly more self-interested and less faithful. They're worshiping other gods and engaging in economic and social practices that were harmful to the community. So the kingdom split apart. I'm going to try the clicker this time. There we go. There's a map for you. Um, The kingdom split apart into the northern kingdom of Israel, uh, and there was the land of ten of the tribes, with the capital in Samaria, and the southern kingdom of Judah, made up of the land of two tribes, with the capital of Jerusalem. And each kingdom had their own kings, who were mostly not so good, with an occasional bright spot among them. 
And God sent prophets to speak to the kings and to the people, to try to bring them back into God's way. Other prophets were um, in the royal court. They were paid to give the king news that he wanted to hear from the divine realms. But in today's story about Naaman, um, we're going to hear about a prophet who is decidedly not welcome in the king's royal court. But he did have power from God. He lived and worked in the northern kingdom of Israel, which was particularly politically unstable and is also the first target of the neighboring empires that had dreams of expansion. Okay, I'm going to start, start here in, in 2 Kings chapter 5. Naaman, a general for the king of Aram, was a great man and highly regarded by his master, or the king, because through him, through Naaman, the Lord had given victory to Aram. This man was a mighty warrior, but he had a skin disease. Now, the Aramean raiding parties had gone out and captured a young girl from the land of Israel. She served as Naaman's, she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master could come before the prophet who lives in Samaria. He could cure his skin disease. So Naaman went and told his master, the king is who they're referring to here, told the king what the young girl from the land of Israel had said. Then Aram's king said, go ahead, I will send a letter to Israel's king. So Naaman left. He took along 10 kikars of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 changes of clothing. He brought the letter to Israel's king, and it read, Along with this letter, I am sending you my servant Naaman so that you can cure him of his skin disease. When the king read the letter, he ripped his clothes. He said, what? Am I God to hand out life and death? But this king writes me asking me to cure someone of his skin disease. You must realize he wants to start a fight with me. When Elisha, the man of God, the prophet that we'll be talking about today, when Elisha heard that Israel's king had ripped his clothes, he sent word to the king, why do you rip your clothes? Let the man come to me. Then he'll know that there is a prophet in Israel. Naaman arrived with his horses and chariots. He stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent out a messenger who said, go and wash seven times in the Jordan River, then your skin will be restored and become clean. But Naaman went away in anger. He said, I thought for sure that he'd come out, stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the bad spot and cure the skin disease. Aren't the rivers in Damascus the Abana and the Farpar better than Israel's waters? Couldn't I wash in them and get clean? So he turned away and proceeded to leave in anger. 
Naaman's servants came up to him and spoke to him. Our father, if the prophet had told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you have done it? All he said to you was, wash and become clean. So Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan seven times, just as the man of God had said. His skin was restored like that of a young boy, and he became clean. He returned to the man of God with all his attendants. He came and he stood before Elisha saying, now I know for certain that there's no God anywhere except in Israel. There are four unnamed people or groups of people in this story that keep moving things along, pointing the way to healing. Their presence invites Naaman to approach healing in a very different way than he expected. So first, the servant girl. Remember, Naaman was a high-ranking general for the king of Aram. And the Aramean raiding parties had gone down and captured this young girl from her land, the land of Israel, um, and brought her back to serve, as Naaman's, to serve Naaman's wife as her servant. So she was stolen from her life, her people, her land, and yet she is moved by his suffering with this skin disease, enough to say to her mistress, I wish that my master could come before the prophet who lives in Samaria. He could cure him of his skin disease. The next unnamed person, uh, we don't actually see this detail in the text, but it's just implied, is Naaman's wife. She is mentioned, but you have to note that the, the um, servant girl relays the message to Naaman's wife, and Naaman's wife is the one who takes it to Naaman. The servant girl doesn't actually speak directly to the general. So it's his wife who brings him this message, and Naaman immediately takes it, and he redirects this information into official channels. His, his whole world operates like that. He is a general of the king's army. So he goes to the king, the one who he believes has the power to make this possible for him. And from there, it spins into letters to the king of Israel, uh, gifts, clothing, money, which all get misinterpreted as a move towards war when the the other king receives it. So what started out as the faith of this servant girl gets shifted through the channels of power and prestige and hierarchy and political agendas in, in bodies that are conditioned to function in those worlds. So instead of getting closer to healing, Naaman is getting farther away. Finally, Naaman goes straight to the prophet. But predictably, he arrives with his horses and his chariots. Uh, Picture this whole official entourage uh, of the king's leading warrior coming through town and then stopping at Elisha's door. Elisha doesn't even come out. 
he sent again an unnamed messenger who says, go and wash seven times in the Jordan River. Then all your skin will be restored and become clean. The honored body of Naaman that's kind of buffered and bolstered by all of these symbols of his power seeks healing and Elisha sends a lowly messenger. He doesn't even honor the visit with his own body. You have to wonder, what is Elisha doing? He's not playing into this whole thing that Naaman has going on. And the fact that Naaman is offended and angered clues us in to how much Naaman's stature and prestige are at work here. And, and that puts him at risk of missing out on healing altogether. This messenger, I think, is a part of the healing process. Naaman has a choice to listen to the messenger, to believe that the body, I believe that the body of this messenger has meaning. So much so that Naaman goes away angry. His ego doesn't want to listen. I think that would be too disruptive to the framework that he, in which he operates. The body of this messenger invites him to surrender to another way, to listen. Beneath his ego, beneath his expectations, even beneath his own suffering that is driving him to look for help. The healing that he needs is deeper than his skin disease. And Naaman doesn't want to concede anything. It's hard it's a hard enough pill to swallow that the prophet doesn't come to see him and wave his arms and perform a big showy miracle. Instead, he is directed to go take a bath. Wash yourself. Naaman's reaction is like, we have better rivers in Damascus. This is beneath him, this whole idea. In his mind, the Jordan River doesn't have anything for him. His, this posture, his bias, is a barrier to his own healing. And all of that is confronted in the body of the messenger that Elisha sends. Not only that, but he has to use his own body to participate in his healing. It doesn't just happen to him or for him with a wave of the hand. There's no showy action that confirms the way Naaman feels about himself, like the kind of miracle he's looking for. Uh, washing in the river is pretty common, pretty mundane. And he is not going to do it. But then his servants come to him. This is the fourth group of unnamed people here. His servants come to him and say, if the prophet told you to do something difficult, wouldn't you do that? All he said is wash and become clean. It's not that hard. It won't cost you any money. You don't have to prove yourself to this other king. You just have to humble yourself and accept the directions of those who you don't actually believe. Letting go of his power was pretty hard for him to do. He has to be convinced to do it, even for his own healing, which is what he wants. Finally, Naaman went down and bathed in the Jordan. 
In this very old uh, German illustration, Naaman is there in the water. Can you see that he is bent over? He's scooping the water up from the river over his head and his back. He's nearly naked, of course. Can you note all the, the heavy equipment right in the front center of that picture? His heavy, impressive armor, the robes, his sword are all piled up there on the riverbank, along with his whole entourage of soldiers and servants and horses. Part of Naaman's healing was in stripping away all of that, to go to the water of the land in which his posture had previously been to conquer and pillage, to humbly bow his head, to submerge himself. And it doesn't even happen the first time. It takes seven times. So getting to the river wasn't even enough. Uh, Seven times, just as the man of God had said, I wonder what's going through his mind in those seven dips. Again and again, I wonder what kind of struggle or doubt he might be having. I wonder if he's afraid that he's a fool for going through with this. After seven times, his skin was restored. Like that of a young boy, he became clean. He finally submitted himself. His privilege was getting in the way over and over again. And in that humility, it's the power of God that heals him. The power of God. Naaman had to go through this process of putting aside his own power, the king's power, Elisha's power. All of that would have obscured for Naaman the fact that God alone can heal him. If it had happened any other way, it seems like the trappings of his privilege would have convinced him that he knows best. The beauty of what happened through all of these unnamed people in the story is that their presence invited him to relinquish all of that. In this photo of the plaque of the cure of Naaman, there is the Latin inscription and then the three servants watching. And you see the hand of God coming down from the clouds? Just looking at it reminded me of a, of a picture of a baptism. Right there he is, immersed in the waters of the Jordan. And the hand of God is reaching out to him. He emerges healed. God's healing came through the bodies of those who continually invited him to set his ways aside. Through those who saw what was possible and called him again and again to it. Lisa Thompson, an associate professor of black homiletics and liturgics at Vanderbilt University Divinity School, writes about this story 
saying that the inbreaking of options for restoration and the final affirmation of the God of Israel are pushed forward by the most vulnerable people in this story, be it vulnerable by captivity, gendered hierarchies, the imbalance power of war, physical illness, or expectations of religious traditioning. Naaman's healing only came through a washing away of his own grandiosity, of the expectations that had been shaped by power and privilege and the way the world works. Maybe part of his healing was that he was healed of thinking that he knew what would heal him. Verse 15, he returned to the man of God with all his attendants. He came and stood before Elisha saying, now I know for certain there's no God anywhere on earth except in Israel. Let me pray for us. Healing God, you healed your servant Naaman of his affliction when he came to you through Elisha for help. Heal our afflictions. Some are more visible than others, Lord. May we posture ourselves to receive what's possible, to vulnerably recognize our bodies and the bodies of those around us as key to your healing work. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected, visit circleofhope.church. You can also find us on Instagram or Facebook at circleofhopenet.